the ending of our sixth full day and night together on this retreat. Reflecting how we are. I think when I began uh, this path, uh, I guess it was 40 years ago, I was in a big hurry to get there. And that's a recipe for a lot of suffering. So I really encourage us just to be kind and patient, by all means, uh, make effort. But we keep tuning our efforts, blessing our efforts. With a regular listening, wise reflection. This is a challenging path. Just to pause and really not be moved by every flicker, every impulse, but to learn, to cultivate, to practice how to stay with this flow of experience, be interested in the patterns, what snags us, causes this us to react. So there's friction. Well then why do it? Because if we don't do it, somehow we know if we don't do it, if we're just unconscious, following our patterns, being led by our distorted, sometimes compulsive cravings and desires and reacting to our aversions, guided by not really clear seeing, then we can create a big mass of suffering for ourselves, our family, our community, our world. The Buddha says, enraptured with lust, enraged with anger, blinded by delusion, overwhelmed, with mind ensnared, people aim at their own ruin, at the ruin of others, at the ruin of both, and they experience mental pain and grief. 
But if lust, anger and delusion are given up, one aims neither at one's own ruin nor at the ruin of others, nor at the ruin of both. And they experience no mental pain and grief. This is Nibbana, visible in this life, timeless, immediate, inviting, attractive, to be experienced by each wise person for themselves. I'm so grateful I had teachers like Ajahn Chah and his disciples like a Westerner that had been there many years and was the senior Western disciple, Ajahn Sumaito, and could help us at first when we couldn't understand any Thai, help us understand the teachings. So grateful that uh, we had a teacher that encouraged us not to imagine this is impossible, that it's all way far away. but who encouraged us. The Buddha says that this peaceful, luminous, true nature is always here and now. Ajahn Chah would say, now what is true peace? True peace, the Buddha said, is not very far away. It lies right here within us. But we tend to continually overlook it. We can then get very frustrated. We hear that and we think, whoa. And there's been a lot of wonderful work done these, these six days and nights here together as we're, we've practiced bearing with our currents and patterns Yes, and there's been a, a lot of suffering, dukkha. But suffering that leads to the end of suffering, that's no, not any old kind of suffering. That's not a masochistic suffering. That is a ennobling, conscious, portal to transformation and recognizing this sacred ground that we're sitting on right now. When we would complain or get discouraged with our suffering, sometimes uh, Ajahn Chah would smile, not in a sadistic way, 
But he was like, if suffering was such a bad thing, why would the Buddha call it a noble truth? Just remembering that this, this moments of opening to, as we've been doing, that which is not easy to be with, we become grander, deeper, wider. We expand our, our capacity to be realistic, and start to deepen an authentic relationship with life, not just living in abstract projections. And then as was mentioned earlier, we, as we can not be so terrified of knowing, listening into the, the difficult, and we start to see it come and go and shift and transmute, the pleasing, the neutral, the unpleasing are just as natural and inexorable as the dawn and the dusk, the in-breath and the out-breath. that peace is not far away. Sometimes we look for too great an insight or talk ourselves out of it. Oh, uh, I don't know. There was a question in the, that we were reflecting on at question time about whether Ajahn Chah emphasized jhana, that's calm meditation. He certainly encouraged us to, to cultivate calm, steadying ourselves. But it's this obsession and this gaining compulsive mind, especially in Westerners. I mean, it, it, these are really highlighted with us of wanting to have to judge how we're doing. So we continually think, oh, I can't do insight. I've got to get a little more calm. See, there, there, there's some restless. I've got, got to get a little more calm not even noticing the ongoing distress that we're creating by that continually judging, it's not good enough, got to get more, got to get more. He encouraged us, hey, know when you're peaceful. Know when you're a little more peaceful. Know when you're really peaceful. Rather than being so obsessed with defining, measuring up against everyone else. Is, is it first John? Is it second? Is it really a jhana? We can get so tangled. And overlook the fact that with quite an ordinary composure, which is still a measure of stability, a measure of gatheredness, we can recognize, we can open to dukkha. 
It's like Ajahn Chah says, you, you have a, a new pen. I can relate to this story because I love nice pens for writing. Not too scratchy. It, it, it flows. I've had so many pens and then they disappear. You check, oh my gosh, what, where's, where's the pen? The mind's wondering, where did it go? And then I look at Tanisha, did she get my pen? She's not that careful with pens, you know. <laughs> Takes pens for granted. <laughs> anyway, Ajahn Chah talks about that, and then you, 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 you tap a pocket and, and feel it there. <laughs> And suddenly the distress falls away. He said, there's cessation right there. There was dukkha. Wanting and not wanting. Wrestling with the way it is. Then recognition. Ah, there it is. And that generated distress just falls away. Was it real? Yeah, it was real. I was really suffering because that's a good pen. They're hard to get. They're always disappearing. I mean, people, if they could only be careful. And, you know, understanding that, you could understand everything. It seems so real, and then when it's gone, where did it go? So sometimes people think, oh, you Buddhists, going around glum faces, suffering, suffering. Everything's suffering. We got good news. (laughs) There is suffering and the ending of suffering. That suffering is, is... doesn't really, it's insubstantial. It arises because of conditions. Grasping. Then when we recognize it, it dissolves. This luminous nature that's always here and now, as we're already interested, we've already made that great return, otherwise we wouldn't be here. If we didn't sense there was something within us to be discovered, to inquiry, we we wouldn't come. And this peace is within. All that's blocking us is, is this overlooking through grasping and rejection. But we're destined, the Buddha says, with confidence. You should have, in the Lotus Sutra, you should have no further doubts. He was saying to the congregation, who still like us, have periods of struggle and then inside struggle. He said, you should have no further doubts. Let your hearts be filled with joy. You know you will reach awakening, because it's here. It's 
waking up to what's already always been right here. I encourage us just to, to be kind. There was a famous uh, early disciple of the Buddha named Anuruddha. In his uh, early days of practice, he was fierce, fiercely pushed himself. And uh, he was he was blind. Uh, at a certain point, he was really couldn't see with his physical eyes. But through his incredible efforts, he developed uh, quite a bit of samadhi. And he was uh, foremost with the divine eye. He had an inward vision where he could see subtle things far away in the subtle realms the unseen realms. Fairly stern and formidable character. Uh, he approached one day Shariputra, or Sariputra, the Buddha's, one of the Buddha's chief disciples who was foremost in wisdom, who also appears in the Heart Sutra where the uh, Kuan Yin was, was continuing to encourage Sariputra to keep deepening his own practice. Anyway, Anuruddha approached uh, Sariputra and said, Venerable friend, they were both monks, he said, with the unsurpassed divine eye, I see the thousand-fold world. He saw all the subtle realms. He said, my energy is unsluggish. My persistence is, doesn't flag. My mindfulness is unshaken. My body's calm. The mind is concentrated. but I still suffer. And with uh, the humor in these Pali scriptures is sometimes a little subtle and understated. But Sariputra replies, he said, Anuruddha, that thought of yours, that with your unsurpassed divine eye you see the thousand world system, that thought is connected to your conceit. The thought that your energy and persistence is unsluggished, your mindfulness is unshaken, your body's calm, your mind is composed and concentrated. That's connected with your restlessness. Getting on to the next thing, the next thing. That thought 
that you still suffer is connected with your anxiety. Friend, he said, it would be good if you didn't attend to those qualities. That conceit, my divine eye, my vigor, my mindfulness, my calm, my composure, my suffering. He said, rather you should turn your mind to the deathless. Turn your mind to that which doesn't die. Anuruddha took the advice and it wasn't long after that that he left behind his, his suffering. There's a profound principle here. Even when we're really accomplished, and he was, one can keep wanting more, more calm, more this, more that. And conditions are always changing. There'll be no stability. What Sariputra was encouraging was not a big shift. Yes, the conditions are coming and going. There's all the subtle sight that can see all the subtle realms. With our regular sight, we can see the light of the evening. the sounds coming and going, the Dhamma talk, the sense of how we are, the feeling tones. Turn your mind to the deathless element. Amata datu was the word. Amata means undying element. It's just a slight shift. So rather than being so focused on the conditions and the judging, widening the awareness. Remember, yoniso manasikara means placing the mind in the womb of awareness, noticing the context. Remember these guests that come and go, like Kandanyo, that image, the guests come and go the forms, the feelings, the perceptions, the anxieties come and go, but the, like guests, but the host remains. The dust dances in the light, but the space is unmoved. It's just as an, an analogy, but we can be focused on who's here, who's not here. But what if we notice the space that allows forms to come and go? The forms are here for the meeting, and then as the meeting goes on, in a while they'll disperse. Forms come and go. The space is unmoved. The sounds, 
the inner sounds of our thoughts and feelings of feeling good and not feeling good and, 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 and making some progress and then, oh, well, I had it, I should have written it down, I know I should have. There's that pen again. And then some thoughts of discouragement and hopeful. The thoughts come and go, but the silent listening remains. So it is said, as space is to form. So we notice the form, we're not knocking the forms out, but we widen and give attention to the space. As space is to form and silence is to sound, so is awareness to all phenomenon. Turn your mind to the deathless. To allow ourselves, this is a practicing, important practicing of the third noble truth. It needs to be tasted, realized, this niroda, this ending of dukkha, this touching into that which is not getting bigger and smaller, not coming and going. It's not far away, it's right here. So even right now as we're listening to just the sounds, holding the sounds and the meaning of the words, holding it very lightly right now and letting the sounds run but noticing what is not moving. Noticing the space before and after and around the sound. the tingling of the sensations of our body, the thoughts of feeling good or not feeling so good, just widening our gaze a little bit, our inner gaze, to notice uh, what remains, what is not moving. Yoniso Manasikara, wisely reflecting, is a good translation is radical reflection. Radical, the word radical is connected to root. Womb, Yoniso, womb, placing the mind in the womb of awareness. Noticing how these different forms, sounds, keep arising and dissolving back into an unmoving, listening. This turning the mind to the deathless is a meditation. It's, one doesn't have to have great samadhi. Even if, even if the mind is scattered and we're 
thinking, gosh, I don't know what happened to my samadhi. I, I had it, and well, then I didn't sleep that well. And, and so we're wrestling a little bit with the uncomfortable feeling of uh, feeling like the, the meditation is slapped off a bit, and I'm not really getting there. And so we're wrestling a little bit with how to get out of it. Turn the mind to the deathless. It's not blocking anything out, but just letting all that stuff be just what it is. Change. And allowing oneself to notice the listening, the silence around the thoughts and feelings. Peace is always here and now. But that peace is not discovered unless there's wisdom. When there's no wisdom, then there's, we attach to the conditions and, and hold on to pleasure and hope it will bring us stability. But because it shifts and shakes, our abiding place wobbles. And then we keep trying to find certainty in that which is not certain. In a famous uh, teaching called the Sharangama Sutra, the Buddha talks about two roots. If we don't understand two roots... then even though we practice with a lot of effort, we'll never accomplish our, our goal of awakening of peace. He said the first root is the root of beginningless birth and death. So all this suffering comes from what is the root of that? He said it's this tendency to take these conditions that we, you and I are experiencing all the time, to take them to be me and mine. That's the root of birth and death, endless birth and death. Because when we take something to be me and mine and, and lean on it, if we lean on praise and become it, that's called birth, oh, it feels good, yes, I'm okay. But if we take birth in that, then when that praise dissolves, we're looking for more, and someone frowns or even criticizes us, then there can be, to the extent to which we leaned on that condition of praise and pleasure and success and our thoughts, then as change and everything changes, manifests, there's the sense of loss. That's called birth and death. So this root of endless birth and death is claiming things. And the other root is the primal essence of consciousness, this original brightness, 
this ground that all the conditions keep merging back into. The Buddha said, if we don't understand these roots, we never uh, attain our goal. He said, it's like someone who, in hopes of having a savory meal, cooks sand. You can really make a lot of effort, really season up that sand. But you don't, sand doesn't turn into a savory delicacy. When we take a condition, the conditions, these feelings, these thoughts, that's what Anuruddha was doing, even though he was accomplished. He still was squeezing, wanting the conditional, changing world to bring him satisfaction. It came because it keeps shifting. In Zen, they call that polishing a brick, trying to get a mirror. You can put a lot of effort in, but one's looking in the wrong place. Conditions are just conditions. Then when we allow them to come and go and wisely reflect, widen our perspective, Recognize that all these sensations and feelings, the pleasant and the unpleasant, arise and dissolve back into this unmoving ground, this original brightness. The Buddha said, Panyuttarasa Bedama, our wisdom will overcome all these conditions. Vimutti sarasabedama. means every single circumstance. Vimutti sara means that every single circumstance, including right now, has within it vimutti, perfect, spacious freedom. The next line, amato gadasabedama. All things merge in the deathless. All these separate things that seem separate when our mind is caught in this papancha. And there's me and, and, and you and, and good and bad in this complexity when this actual stream of sensations is so categorized and abstracted through this misunderstanding of language. That actually, amatogadasabedama, all these dharmas merge, they come together. A visual, a visual image that can help. Sometimes the Buddha compared these conditions to lightning. Lightning flashes. He compared this, these conditions of our life to Dreams, illusions, bubbles, shadows like dewdrops in a lightning flash. He said, contemplate them thus. That lightning flash can help us 
is one image that can help us get a feeling for how this separation merges. Our hermitage is in, uh, in South Africa, is in the Drakensberg Mountains. And one of the, has the most primal, extraordinary weather patterns there. In the summertime, um, in the early years, climate change is also affecting us down there. But in the early years and more recently, it's come back in the summer, almost every afternoon, the heat builds up and we get these incredible storms. It's one of the highest incidents in the world of lightning in this place. And uh, in a summer evening when there's an amazing storm, these lightning flashes are awesome. I never knew till I went there that, because I had a chance to see it so much, that at least the lightning there has this purple haze, purple tint. But to see these extraordinary flashes with amazing cracks of thunder that almost knock you down is so thrilling. But to, to try to catch it, it's there and it's gone. And you, as soon as you want to have a closer look, it's gone. You're trying to anticipate the next one and one misses it. But just gets the tail in and goes out forward and it's gone with extraordinary flashes. It can be quite stressful trying to catch, capture lightning. But just to reflect on the Buddha saying, hey, all the conditions of what we take to be me and mine are actually just like flashes of lightning. Contemplate them thus. Thus is a beautiful word for just be with it as it is. And when one relaxes a little more, allows the lightning to just be what it is and flash all these flashes, arise and cease into this unmoving sky, unbounded, dark yet mysteriously luminous sky. Flashes merge, arise, and merge. Just as the trees, we can have our favorite trees when we just look at the surface. The oak trees, the mighty oaks, some incredible hickories, sycamores, Amazing beech trees in this country. Pine, you can have your favorite, ones you don't like. But where do all trees merge? The branches, the leaves, or the needles, they fall to the ground. And a tree is not a tree if it's not rooted, stabilized nourished from the ground. When one, whatever the tree, you go down into the roots, into Mother Earth, and then one can't differentiate 
all the separation merges in the ground. When we're focused on the surface, on the forms, especially the labels, it's good. It's bad. It's mine. We try to establish ourselves like trying to catch that lightning, we reap frustration. The Buddha said when we do that, when we, through this papancha, this fascination with complexity and making separations and distinctions, he said it's like a hand grasping at empty space. He says you'll reap weariness, or like a yak chasing its tail. It's endless and exhausting. Yet when we widen our lens, not just focus and grasp at the surface, but notice the surface of our sounds, our feelings, the thoughts we're having right now are all arising and dissolving back into this ground of listening. That's where all things merge. And we were encouraged to, as a practice, listen to the ending of a thought, the ending of a sound, and noticing before the next thought that little gap in our monastic training that was a wonderful revelation when our teacher Ajahn Sumato encouraged us to mind the gap. You didn't know that the British underground system was a secret society, but only for those who know, because you might think that you've got to be afraid of the gap. Be careful with the gap, you'll fall in the gap, you'll get hurt by the gap, but those who know, plunge. Into the gap of silence. Anyway, we had a laugh, but mind the gap was so amazing not to worry so much about what the thoughts were. I am sitting and notice that space right after the thought, before the next thought. And this radical reflection, this is Kuan Yin's meditation in that Saranga Masutra, which means the durable samadhi. Her meditation is listening and reflection. It's returning the hearing. It's the origin of Zen, her method. 
returning the hearing to listen into that deathless nature, that true nature. Minding the gap. A wonderful way is asking a question. In the Chinese tradition it's called huato, or the head of thought. Usually we're chasing the tail of the thought. Is it a good thought? Is it a bad thought? Like a great Ramdas's guru, a great Hindu master, Maharaji, Nim Kroli Baba, one day was just going around and his disciples worried he'd gone crazy. He was just going around all day long going, too much, too much, too much, too much, too little, too little, too little, too little, too big, too big, too big, too big, too small, too small, too small, too small. Too much, too much, too much, too much. Too little, too little, and they think, golly, what's wrong with him? But usually we're so caught up in the tail of the thought, we don't notice the head, the origin, the source of the thought. And a question, who's, who's practicing? Held ever so delicately, for a moment, the attention, when we ask who, lets go of the object and listens inwardly, turns. Who's this happening to? Maybe the mind throws up an answer, me, Dumbo. But that'll be a thought that comes and dissolves. The question, for a moment, stops the obsessive thinking and allows us just to listen. To, hmm. So, the question and then the gap. The silent reflection. One of my favorite huatos, it's called the word head. It's a word that dissolves, but it inducts us into listening, into the ground. One of my favorite ones is, what remains? So while all this stuff is happening perfectly, the sensations, the thoughts, what remains? We allow that thought to vibrate, the change is perfect, like the lightning flashes in the sky. But our mind also notices the stillness that makes it all possible. Where everything continually returns. What never moves, just kindly allowing everything to shift and change, which is what it does. Just whispering from time to time, but what 
never moves. Like that sky that's untroubled. by the lightning. Forms are empty. They reveal their emptiness. When we touch them with wisdom and listening. But the emptiness has within it the incredible potentiality to manifest forms that dissolve. The form and the emptiness are perfectly merged. We have a name, form, and we can argue it is. But like that lightning flash or that bubble, the in-breath disappears, ceases, and becomes an out-breath. The suffering, which seemed so real when my pen was gone and I was looking at everybody who got sticky fingers. The suffering is there and then it's gone. The confidence, so real, then it's gone. So it is or it isn't. We can argue about it. The forms are empty, but the emptiness has within it form. When we want things really to be solid, then we reap suffering and create dukkha. But if we want emptiness to have nothing in it, sometimes when we get an experience for letting go, then we, and call that peace, and we associate suffering with the world, sometimes we don't want to experience anything then it's important to remember form is empty, but also emptiness has within it form. Our Chinese master, Master Xunhua, has a beautiful way of putting it. He says, true emptiness does not obstruct wonderful existence. Wonderful existence does not obstruct true emptiness. True emptiness isn't empty. Wonderful existence doesn't exist. Because true emptiness isn't empty, it is therefore called wonderful existence. Wonderful existence doesn't exist. And so it is called true emptiness. The master explained, he said, what is our true nature like? This nature is like empty space. Would you say there's anything in empty space? There's absolutely everything in empty space. But you cannot see it. This existence within emptiness is wonderful existence. The lack of emptiness within emptiness is true emptiness. 
Since true emptiness is not empty, it is called wonderful existence. And since wonderful existence is not existence, it is called true emptiness. These two names are one. You investigate them in detail and find, however, there's not even one. in this practice, letting our thoughts keep dissolving. Whatever you say can't really capture. So at the ending of a day, honoring the moments of deepening our capacity to be patient and mindful, aware of the great gift of just not harming anyone, and in practicing wisely reflecting. May the blessings of this day touch every cell in our body, that there may be ease, that even the suffering that we're experiencing is suffering dedicated to the ending of suffering for the welfare of all. As we relax on each out-breath, like a pebble dropping into a pool, sending ripples effortlessly in all directions. May the goodness of our practice be shared with all beings above, below, and all around.
like lightning flashes in a night sky. Everything and everyone is touched. May all beings realize the peace that is our true nature. Good night. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.